Hello everyone and welcome to another one of what I'm calling the quarantine edition episodes of the SWW show. I'm Mike. Today I have with me a special guest. Could you please tell me your name and what is the game that you're working on? Yeah, I'm Johnson Brown and I'm working on a game called Colony Siege. Nice. So let's start with the very obvious simple thing. What? So you you are working under... So the studio name you're working under, you have to help me pronounce that. Uh, Finny Fugle Games. So Finny Fugle Games, it, walk me through, because so I assume not everyone's probably heard of you. What is Finny Fugle Games? Uh, we're a new studio. Um, we This is the first game that we made. Uh, our parent company has been developing software for about 14 years now, but this is the first video game. So we created a new studio for it. And we're coming up to uh, pretty soon releasing the game in early access. Nice. So yeah. So yeah. So the game is talking about is Colony Siege. So I feel like Colony Siege is one of those games that like it's a genre that once you see it, people kind of fundamentally somewhat understand it. But if maybe you want to give like the elevator pitch of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a RTS and tower defense combined in a sci-fi setting. So it's a little bit of a genre blend. We wanted to take the parts we liked about tower defense and the parts we liked about RTS and get the best of both worlds into one game. So immediately you make me sound like an idiot this week because I was I this is actually the second of you I had this week with someone who's working on something in the vein of a tower defense because my whole thing was I go I'm really excited for this because Tower Defense, I always argue, is a genre that died. Because, like, like they're still around, but they're not around in that same volume they were in the early 20-teens. So I find it yeah. really funny you're the second one in a week. <laughs> well, I, I think part of that is that a lot of people weren't innovating the genre. So that's one thing we tried to correct. So let's maybe start there then. So you've been on the game i'll assume for a good chunk of its development if not the entire thing you... yeah yeah i did all the artwork okay so why so what a why a tower defense and then obviously you said you're blending genres so what what do you feel that you guys have immediately innovated that you thought were the problems with that genre well the the first thing that we innovated was um starting with the rts baseline. So the whole control scheme, uh, viewport, and uh, uh, unit command is all very RTS-based. So when you start playing, it it feels like an RTS, but tower defense is a big component to how you uh, play through the game and survive. Maybe then kind of the reason the genre either died or went in this hibernation is better way of putting it. Is that more it was too passive? I think so. Um, probably a little too passive, a little too slow paced. Uh, I think, yeah, it, it just a little too locked in. A big part of it is a lot of the tower defense games only allow you to place towers in specified areas, or in some cases only specified slots. So what we did is we tried to 
open that up so you can place your tower's defenses virtually anywhere. And you can also use uh, uh, regular ground units, just like you would in an RTS. In fact, uh, if you like the RTS element better, you can play almost exclusively using that. To me, is is very interesting in the sense of so when a lot of people when they when they combine genres of games, it feels like they make both the the, the usual assumption is well then you have to learn both genres from capacity of the parts you're using. Where you guys are making this point of no, you kind of just do the genre you want more. Yeah, that that's what our goal was, uh, especially since we created the game from the ground up to support co-op. So we wanted it to be very viable for one player to work on fixed defenses and another player to work on mobile uh, mobile offenses and defenses. Question I have. So this is so we're gonna get into. So I like. I always argue I like the top level strategy games, so I like Civ and Sim City and that type of like, like type where like okay, it's there's it's very easy to read strategy games, mm-hmm. and I always have issue when it gets more in the like pure RTS of like the StarCraft, the those kind of games. I'm curious, so I think immediately what's intriguing for you guys because I think Tower Defense inherently felt more of that top level. Have you guys mm-hmm. done anything, do you think, immediately to, like, alleviate towards the the me types of players, or do you feel like you're going straight for that more hardcore strategy player? Uh, I think we, we actually appeal to both. So for the people that like uh, straightforward tower defense can play that way. So you can, you can win missions uh, exclusively building towers, traps, and fixed defenses, uh, or you can use uh, ground units and other RTS elements to to achieve what you want. So it, it's we really designed it so that you could pick your play style. It's very interesting. Um, and, and I know you're more art, so we'll get to the... I, I think there's some very art questions I'm curious about in a second too, but I'm very curious on this for a second of how do you build those levels kind of to like support both players... Because I assume inherently then one player has to have a harder time than the other player if you just solely went on one of the two ways. Well, the in co-op, both players have their command ship and they share the colony. And they also share control over the units. Uh, but they're colored based on who built them. So you can you can tell who built what. And, you know, if you're nice, you don't mess with the other player's stuff. <laughs> but... Uh, it's it's very much a combined effort. I so I wouldn't say it's really harder for one player than another, but it it does help to have kind of a synergistic tactic. You like well, we would hope players are nice. We we all know <laughs> you're gonna have like the two sets of players who go, oh, I'm not taking you. I swear that was the last time as they like grabbing the units and just moving them everywhere. Yeah, definitely. Well, our our policy has always been more pro, you know, freedom versus uh, guiding the player where we want them to be. We kind of want players to have the opportunity to make their own mistakes and learn from them. Uh, I, I really don't like it when games try to force you to play a certain way and do exactly what they want you to do. Not a concern there that a play, it'd be easier for a player to get frustrated then? 
if it's too open? Possibly. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Uh, to mitigate that, we do start the game off uh, pretty simplified. So they only have a few things unlocked, and then as they go through the game, uh, that all branches out and things become much more available. So our hope is that by starting them off a little easy, they can get a good feel for it and avoid some of that frustration. Another thing we did was integrating checkpoints with every enemy wave. So if you screw up royally, you can uh, just revert to the last wave. You don't have to restart the whole mission like a lot of games make you do. That's something I'd say on the plus side from like me or you from like a usability point of view, because because I think that's always what I felt too. And like big, we'll say big RTSs of like, oh, here's a forty minute mission. Crap, I messed up at thirty five minute mark. Oh crap, I messed up at the one minute mark, and I really still the thirty five minute mark. It's always the problem. I feel. Yeah, definitely, and especially on tower defense games where you die to the last boss just by a tiny little bit, and then you have to start it all over. We wanted to never have that be an issue. I think the fundamental question always in those is, and it's for the player it has to figure out, is when did I make that mistake? Because you don't don't know you made the mistake immediately. Yeah, definitely. So another thing we do to help mitigate that is we we implemented a complete 100% refund for any units that are destroyed or salvaged. So if you find you made a mistake, you can salvage the building and then get all your resources back and build something else. There's, of course, still the time constraint. Uh, so you, you do have you know, a limit to the amount of time you can be building before you're attacked. And there's also the consideration that existing units and buildings will gain veterancy. And if you, they die or they get salvaged, they lose that veterancy. So there is an incentive to not just salvage everything all the time. But if you make a mistake, you, um, you can salvage it without losing resources. And that, again, I think that's a very interesting. And I and I feel we're getting into this point in, in this genre and a lot of those genres, I feel like that used to be harder to get to the general mainstream where like the little stuff like that, where that way it it's more forgivable to the player. And I think that's going to be really strong for that in the long term. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what our hope was. We wanted to lower the frustration as much as possible without destroying the underlying challenge so if a you know if you make a lot of mistakes early on um there are cases where you might have to replay the mission but if you know if your strategy is decent if you've been making fairly good choices then you you should be all right i i think now is kind of what i'm going to jump into your specialty obviously is talk about is you did the art for the game what yeah. what was your inspiration for this general look of the game? Which I think, to me, it feels sci-fi, obviously, but I feel you guys almost have a more, I think of like a Neo look or a cyberpunky kind of look, kind of with the with the lights and stuff. Yeah, my main inspiration was a mix between Planetary Annihilation, um, Supreme Commander, and a little bit of StarCraft. Um, maybe swap out Supreme Commander with Total Annihilation. It's It kind of became its own beast at some point, but the baseline really was Planetary Annihilation, which had a much more simplified art style, but I enjoyed the game a lot, and 
I was really struck by how such a simple art style didn't detract from how fun it was. So, immediately, I've got to ask then, because you're talking about how you did the art of the game. How, were there, were mm. you the only one doing art, or is there like a team of you doing art on this game? Uh, it was just me. The, yeah, it um, it did take about four years, but <laughs> got it done eventually. So, so that is a massive constraint on you and your guys' team too. Is the like, is the you are the art, art pipeline of like, you're yeah. like, there are only so many hours in a day. There's only so much you physically could produce to, or or you could produce a lot, but there's only physically per item how much detail you put into it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know we're not quite done yet. We still are going into an early access period, and I plan to do you know, a few polish phases and get stuff looking a little bit better. But uh yeah, I think I think we're pretty happy with how it's looking so far. So one of the things I feel in a game like this, with art especially, is being able to look at the map or the arena really quickly and tell what's happening. So I'm curious while you're producing art kind of what Anything you did particular to make sure your stuff was uniquely readable on that screen? Um, yeah, that that just kind of happened. I, I mean, I I wish I could say I had a grand plan for it, but uh, when I created the maps, I just kind of blocked out the basic paths and areas that I thought would work well for that map, and then I just created the geometry and the style after that so one one thing we do to make it really clear what's happening is we have these dynamic enemy path waves so you can see uh, at all times where the enemies plan to go and that updates even as you place buildings so uh, i th i think it's a pretty unique real-time feedback system inherently unique because we talked about in the beginning is tower defenses either naturally because of AI tended to have that very massive constraint on them of like you can place things here or mm -hmm. around this area because this is my path I can't change my path yeah yeah and in this case even if the enemies are already spawned and you build something while they're attacking um, they'll adjust their, their paths dynamically even during a battle so it, it it took our programmer a while to get that working really clean, especially because there can be so many enemies on the screen at a time, and every single one is actually calculating their individual paths on the fly. But uh, it's working, and it's it's fast and clean. I love, the, to be fair, that, that is the best line always of game development. You go, it's working. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's when everyone stands up, gives an applause, and walks away. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, so then... Keeping on that thing of like readability, though, one of the things that that amazes me again is the amount of things on a screen at one time in this game. Because mm -hmm. I feel I could still look at each and your object and see a level of polish and detail there. And I'm really curious on like throughout development, there had to be an issue at some points of like processing with all of this art, right? Um, not not really for me. Uh, just because. Our programmer is, uh, he's, he's really quite something else. Um, he wrote the entire 3D engine and everything from scratch. So he was able to, to really optimize things on a level that 
I think a lot of games wouldn't be able to if they were using an engine like Unity or uh, Unreal. So, yeah, it, he's managed to really optimize a lot of stuff without having super heavy-handed art constraints. Immediately very interesting. I didn't realize you were using a custom engine for this. I guess it makes a lot of sense because the nature of, again, troop count and item count and all that stuff, but I, I naturally a lot of times just have made the assumption with a lot of indie games, unless I've heard otherwise, that they're, they're running off of a pre-developed, pre-developed engine just because, again, the nature of the time that takes. Yeah, definitely. And the, the pre-built engines are great. You know, I'm nothing against them, but I I think since we have the capability to create our own engine, um, it, it, it was a big advantage to us. Our, our programmer has been building 3D engines for pretty much as long as 3D engines have existed. So he has a lot of experience with that. Yes, yeah, so, so you have one of the good ones, it sounds like. that. That's, that's again, <laughs> really happy yeah, for you yeah. and the team <laughs> that you have one of the good ones. Because I've heard too many stories, they're like, yeah, I decided to start making an engine. Six months later, I went, why the fuck did I do that? But I'm stuck in this engine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, okay, so the big thing now, you guys are now coming out publicly now, in the summer, what it's sticking with, but you're going into early access. Yeah, yeah, and a big part of that is we want to hyper polish and balance everything in the game. Uh, we really want it to be um, extremely well liked by the time we leave early access. So we're going to be listening to the community and reviews quite a bit during that time period. And we're um, on the art side, I'm going to be doing a lot of polishing, uh, listening to the community, possibly adding new things. So it 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 should be pretty pretty exciting. But we're we're very committed to modifying the game to meet the community's needs. And to that end, we've for our closed beta period, we've already added a a feedback button that allows users to send messages directly to the programmer right from within the game. A very dangerous button. He's, he's going to turn that button off with, like, days. I, I can just give like, a week after launch. He's going to be like, I disabled the button. It still works. They think it works, but it's disabled. <laughs> well, if he gets overwhelmed, he might forward those to me. But uh, I'll make sure that, that everyone gets read. I just guarantee, I, if I was supposed to have the program, I'd be like, I could turn this button off? Yeah, okay. It it works. <laughs> it totally works. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So so immediately, without spoiling what it is, I've got I, I've got to ask, do you have a list in your head or written down somewhere of stuff you think you're working on early access? And then what are the odds you actually stick to that list? Yeah, yeah, I have a base list for what I plan to be working on. Um and i'm i'm sure i'll get to all of it but the x factor is all the stuff that's going to come up that people will ask or that i'll notice myself and uh yeah i think i think with the way that we've developed this in what well we're 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 going into early access with almost a finished game. It it is a finished game according to our original specs. So at this point, we have a lot of room and time to enhance beyond the original specs to get it to something that we know people will like. Who 
So, so early access to me is always interesting because it's this thing of every game thinks it like to them it means something different. So mm-hmm. when you when you guys are going into early access, so do you guys? So it sounds to you guys, it feels much more as a like open beta than it does to like developments. A better way to put it. Basically, yeah. So the underlying intent going into it is very much like an open beta for polishing and testing. But I think the difference is that if we see a lot of people requesting something, we're going to make that happen. So we're a normal open beta. It's really just for finding bugs and polishing. But in our case, you know, we still are ready and willing to do actual development according to what the community wants. So I'm going to I'm going to push you a little bit just on the, in this question so I'm cuz I'm really curious. cuz especially how you define this game as physically a, a you describe some some capacity of a complete product already and it's a lot more adding what what will come up. What mm-hmm. then based on that standard then how are you guys going to what are you guys using to kind of define the game as done for a full release? Well, that's going to depend quite a bit on the community. Um, it, if people are all liking it, if they all see it as a complete product, then you know we'll finish the polish and balancing phase and then release, then launch it fully. Um, we're planning on the early access period only being about four months, but if there's if there's major issues, if people want more features, then we'll take the time and and do that. That that's a good answer. So I'm gonna one more hard question that that, that I know you're gonna not answer at all. Uh, it says <laughs> summer 2020. Is that can I have anything more specific, or are you still sticking with the summer date? We're planning on uh, July 1st. July 1st, 2020. So you have mm-hmm. a little under three months to get the sucker ready. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, we're we're pretty much ready now, but we do want to build up. Uh, you know, more wish lists. We want more people to be able to see it when it starts so that we get more data very early on. That's our that's our main goal. We really want to get a really good feel for how people perceive it and what they want us to add. Perfect. So just to clarify everyone then, the game is Colony Siege. Uh, it's colonysiege.com and it's Colony, if I could speak, Siege on Steam, uh, they need to wishlist the game, share it with all your friends, any of the other stuff they need to do that I don't understand about game development? Oh, well, we do have a Discord if they want to come in and hang out and post suggestions in there. We're always happy to, to have that. Perfect. Nice and the Discord is listed straight on your website? Uh, it is, yeah. Okay, perfect. So, I want to say thank you for joining me during our... I'm calling it our fun quarantine. It's really not fun, but it's like the optimistic way of saying fun. Um, <laughs> got us all to do something for a bit. Uh, so yeah, thanks for joining me for this. Uh, best of luck on completing the game then with your final three-month stretch before early access. Definitely. Thanks for having me on. Perfect. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another one of my fun, as I call them, the Corona interviews, because we're all in our fun isolation, quarantine, whatever you call it. Uh, I I have a fun interview episode today. I am Mike. This here I have with me, the special guest, is not named AJ. I know. Like usual, we're all really excited. So can you tell me what your name is and what game you are currently working on? 
Hey everyone, uh, I'm Clem, and I'm working on Mad Experiments Escape Room. Whew. So, so first initial thing, Clem, I've got to ask. So obviously, based on your accent, I'm going to say you're not from America. And <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm I'm French, and um, I I'm I'm living right now in Montreal in Canada. So when you say French, are you actually from France then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm from uh, I'm from a city near uh, Bordeaux. Um. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, real French. <laughs> you in real French from the like, countryside <laughs> to the French part of Canada. So yeah, you couldn't get much more French. So if you moved to America, you'd move to New Orleans, is what that means. I understand. <laughs> yeah, that would be quite the, the same. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's the most French area probably in America. So like, I was like, where's our French equivalency? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so you're here talking about. Mad Experiments Escape Room, which do you I mean, let's start with what is like what would you call as like the elevator pitch of this game? Um, so Mad Experiment Escape Room is a, a multiplayer uh, puzzle game where you are trapped in a room and uh, up to six players uh, have to solve puzzles and um, explore uh, the clues on the room of the room and and think about. Really hard puzzles. I I don't know if you tried, and uh, uh, you'll you'll tell me the the difficulty of it. But um, uh, so yeah, they have to solve puzzles together to get out of the room. They have sixty minutes to do this, and um, uh, they discover a narrative in the room as they as they solve the the different puzzles, and uh, they they discover why they're here and uh, a bit more about the place. So I've got the ask the immediate obvious question. Do you like escape rooms a lot in real life? I'm gonna take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. In Mon- Montreal, there's a lot of uh, different escape rooms, and uh, me and my girlfriend, we we actually are quite fan of it. And uh, it's a shame we we can we can do them right now these days. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know how long it's gonna last. So uh, yeah, but yeah. So I really like escape rooms. So so. And, sorry. No, I was gonna say. So what's interesting about it is, so the theme kind of this one kind of reminds me of like I picture it as like the like British manners, kind of like what it feels like I'm in. Yeah, exactly. So I, um, during your time maybe doing escape rooms and obviously doing research for the game, do you feel like what maybe are like some of the escape rooms that kind of stuck out to you theme wise or puzzle wise that kind of really influenced this game as we go into it more? Um. Well, uh, I've tried I've tried a couple, but uh, a lot were single player, so that that was a bummer. So because I, I love to play with my friends, and and so first that inspired me to do the the actually the actual opposites and and try to do multiplayer, and then uh, for the puzzle mechanics, um, I I don't know I I'd, I'd like to do some puzzles online and everything, so that that inspired me a bit. And uh, for the theme, yeah, just imagine some kind of of a mad scientist, and it's just it was just like uh, I wanted I wanted him to be British, and uh, because I just I just la- love the accent, I don't know, and um, uh, yeah, and the the place it came out as I as I was producing it. Uh, at first, you know, you start with really nothing, and then you build the thing, and um, I didn't have a really clear idea in my mind at first, but then it just came up as I was building it. 
That's very interesting because I feel when I was so you get you were nice enough to give me some keys to kind of go through it with some people and test even on my own. I got to test a bit, and I think what's interesting is the room like you're in those kind of rooms like actually feel really well put together and they feel like it feels okay, maybe maybe minus the fire in front of the door it feels like almost like a natural living place <laughs> that's why <what> i <laughs> well, find very nice. interesting that like you kind of kept going so did you maybe did you come up with like, the puzzles of the respective rooms first and, and then the theme kind of came in after or did you have like a story plot in mind how did you kind of go about making them um so uh, i started with a, a plot um that i mean everything everything you, you have to iterate um and it goes through different phases and some ideas just die and so you know you start with a i started with um just a, a plot that it changed a lot um and then he gave me the theme of the room then i started with a room and then in this room i would imagine some puzzles that would fit in there and um yeah, I iterated a lot. Um, you start with a puzzle, you play test with some friends, and um, you see what works and what what don't. And uh, yeah, you have to play test a lot. So that that's what I did. And the cycle is always plot, puzzle, uh, room, and then the puzzle after. Um, and then everything has to be tied together. If it's if it's not tied to at least two or three elements in the room, I would I would just um, eliminate it. So yeah, every yeah to make everything feels cohesive. And I tried, you know, but uh, it took me a it took it, it takes a lot lot of time because you 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 have to iterate a lot and and to try again and and sometimes you start from scratch. So uh, yeah. Well, one of the things that I think when we just started the conversation a couple minutes ago that you immediately is, you have this, it feels like obviously, and I, I, I'm going to say this about skate rooms in general a lot, is um, the toughness of the puzzles. And I'm curious, while you're making this, and you said you've even tested this with people before, like, how, what to you was like the right balance of how hard a puzzle should be? And maybe like, what are some examples of puzzles that like way out of scope of like the difficulty? Um, well, at, at first, uh, I wanted just the game to be hard because um, I just um, I tried the other games, you know, on the market, and and uh, they were medium, and so I felt okay. They there's there's they need they they we need some other games where people like me that they love puzzles, they do puzzles for years, so they know the mechanics. The, so you need to come with um, really different ideas or f up ideas uh, to make um, uh, fun and engaging for the hardcore players. And um, I tested it with friends and uh, some people online, you know. And the difficulty really comes when uh, it's it's not the puzzle itself; it's how you explain it to the players. And the way to explain it is our clues. And um, so the clues are really the key of um, making a, for me, a good puzzle in an escape in an escape room because it's this is the the balance of difficulty that you that you manage is it's from it's I mean through the clues, and uh, so I tend to use that a lot um, to make it not too easy and not too obvious. 
on that note then, so what to you was like see some of your puzzles have a like multiple steps to them of like kind of because you might see like a puzzle in its fifth step and you've kind of work your way back. What yeah. what is the number do you think to that of like when is it too much for people to understand? Um, it depends. I mean, if if you're alone, um, it 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 could be really hard because uh, you have a lot of uh, thinking to do and um, the order is not explicit either. You know, you know, you don't really know what you have to do first. Uh, there's there's few clues here and there, visual clues, but um, if you're alone, you could be lost at the beginning and everything. So, uh, if you're in group, um, um, it's not that hard. Uh, it's it's. I mean, depending on the clues and. Um, um, yeah, for me, for me, you know, it's not it's not that hard. Uh, group in the group um, session. Much more do you kind of like when it's when it's the smaller groups or the solos, kind of like where you hit those bottlenecks. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, I've I've seen a lot of a group of four and five people solving it in in thirty forty minutes. But it depends on the on the skills of people, um, and individually, you know, you'd have to be a complementary you know a a team that can do a lot of different that has a lot that has a lot of different uh, puzzle skills um yeah so that's actually a very interesting feat to me is so you inherently have time limits in your rooms because that's a very common escape room thing um what i find yeah. interesting about it so obviously the reason we have in real life those time limits is a monetary reason of that that's their time limit what to you then do you feel then you adding the time limit was like just a goal just to add pressure to the players or kind of what was your thought process of keeping that time limit mechanic in it um yeah i, I wanted to have uh, some kind of uh of pressure and um to put some kind of pressure and on the players and to, to force them to yeah to think quick and to act and and to organize as a team um uh, to be efficient, um, but it, it, it's interesting you ask the question because um, during the beta, a lot of players asked for a kind of um, a relaxed mode where you don't have a time limit. So that that's something I'm gonna I'm gonna implement uh, right after release. Um, that is actually in two weeks, um, on the 16th. But yeah, yes. So the time limit. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna propose a different mode for to 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 remove it if you want to do the room casually take your time no pressure uh, for the more kind of competitive um, players or the people that just want to have the same feeling you know you have in a real skin room um, then there will be the other the, the more uh, standard mode with time limit. Interesting. So do you feel then? This is probably more of a metaphor of escape rooms in your game, per se, but do you feel an escape room is really only an escape room? Be like, is it partially because of that time limit is kind of what makes it escape room fundamentally? Um, well, the, the, the setting, too. The setting being trapped, you know. You, the, the, that is the most um, uh, prominent feature for me. 
Which is always kind of interesting because obviously. What is what is it for you? That, that's it's just because it's the idea of an escape room. Obviously, is the escape room. Like that's that's kind of why it's called that. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. But because in real life there is the monetary constraints and you have to get so many people through these things of we've added other mechanics and features into them that that are there more for those logistical reasons. And I'm always curious when we put these in these digital formats, we don't have to have those reasons that we still determine them as an important piece of the experience. Yeah. So that's, that's just always what's intrigued me about it. I, I guess to me, I do agree. That is the puzzles on a fundamental level. Um, that actually gets me to an interesting question is, so obviously in escape rooms in real life, we're tied to real life features of what we can and cannot do. Yeah. What do you so what what is like going through as you've built this? What are your favorite things that you've done in the escape room without with spoiling with what you feel like spoiling? Um uh that you like this is something we c- I couldn't have done in real life and that's why it's really cool to put in this kind of escape room. Uh well, yeah. So yeah, so I I won't spoil it, but there's um a part that that it was especially built for that. It's it's funny you asked the question because it, it's something that I really thought about a puzzle that you couldn't do in real life and that should be only video game uh, possible. And then um, so there's a, you kind of a you tr- by solving a puzzle you discover a device that if when you use it you transfer your spirit to another thing. I won't spoil anything else. And that's fundamentally a very interesting way to, to tease it. I'll give you that. And yes, I'd hope in real life we couldn't actually do that. So that, that's a good example of something in those Not times. yet. Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. So yeah. Uh... Nice. Okay. So so I'm curious more maybe let's let's pull back in this game a second. So you are fundamentally an indie developer. And because building this game, having to build the community naturally, all of that fun pieces of it. What yeah. has been the struggles of getting noticed or any of that's like the, the stuff of like game development that is the, that we think of as secondary game development, but it is like the social media, the getting noticed, the getting on these lists that has been either really challenging or surprisingly rewarding kind of going through this process. Uh, so the question is what are the, um, the most efficient ways of, of no, promoting like, myself? No, like maybe more like going through your experience, like what have you found like really challenging and like also uh, like what have you found like really rewarding kind of going through that? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a, uh, a fight of every day. It's uh, you always have to find ways of of um, trying to get a few seconds of attention from people around online. Uh, there's so many content every week, every day, um, released, you know, on Steam or on, on or consoles. Um, so. Um, I try to be I try to be consistent. It's really hard these days. Um, but I try to post, you know, on Twitter, uh, Reddit, um, my progress, my progress. Uh, do some videos, you know. I should be more um, involved in this, uh, you know. I know, but uh, it's uh, it, it's really tough to find the time, you know, between game dev and marketing. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, you have to. You have to be. You have to find <clears throat> ways to, like, uh, hack hack your way into the system and into people's people's eyes. 
<laughs> just just to get some eyeballs on your product and uh, and try to to make them follow you and then and then wishlist the game on Steam. Uh, that's very very important for uh, um, search our algorithm. So yeah, you have to chase those uh, those those wishlist and eyeballs. That's it. And on on in every way possible, freeway if you could. One of the other things I've noticed, and I and I've noticed a trend with games that can get away with it, we'll call it, is the idea of obviously you're building a natural community and like a Discord, and then on top of that, you're giving away either or in some capacity like either free keys or stuff like that to help with like beta testing and stuff like that in the game. Have you found that yeah. being a really efficient way of getting the game out there, at least in front of people's eyes, and and all of the testing and stuff naturally then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was really really helpful to get the game out and build something around it. Um, and uh, I mean, there's a lot of people on the on my Discord, and but a lot of um, I mean, most of the activity on it is is made by maybe thirty to fifty people that are really really involved into the project, and in there I've I've just found the core of my players and you know the the people that I should ask to for ideas and feedback and uh they're not just there to beta test and like uh find the bugs you know they have they 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 need to inspire the new the new the new puzzles and mechanics so yeah it had a double it had a double effect like getting the game getting the game out there and and plus uh, building a core uh, community around the game. And so you said, you said, I believe you said early in this talk, did you say, so originally what I was saying was the game was April. So did you say the date was now April 16th, was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so actually, uh, a few days ago, I've decided to release the game on the 16th uh, in early access, um, just with the first room. Because uh, I'm, I mean, I'm in quarantine. <laughs> Everyone is, and um, I, I find it funny just to, you know, you're stuck at home, but I, I'm gonna release an escape room. So um, I find it like uh, I, I should, you know, pull back the date, the release date a bit. And anyway, I would be, I would be late for the second room because I don't have the time. I should have if I if I wasn't in quarantine, you know, because I have a toddler at home and I have to take care of. So um, I, I decided to just uh, release on the 16th, early access, the first room there, and then the second room and the third room for free, of course, um, I, ASAP. So the first, the stuff, I guess, the second room will be end of May, early June, um, and the second room is the the the, the uh, it's linked to the first room and there's a narrative going on and it's it's not a second different total different room it's the narrative continues the story continues uh, and yeah the, yeah so um yeah release on the 16th correct so you said early access on the 16th so I'm gonna be genuinely curious of when that comes out of how different it is going from your like tighter niche discord testers to the general public that's always the fun part of early access you're like this worked oh crap <laughs> exactly um there i i've i think i've patched the game 
40 times since I've started uh, early December. So it should be pretty solid, but uh, we'll see. I mean, uh, bug-wise, it should be okay, but um, sales-wise, we'll see. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, Clem, <laughs> thank you for sitting down with me to talk about Escape Rooms and your game. Um, so you said April 16th, Mad Experiments Escape Room. What is your website or any of the other spots people should be able to find you? Uh, play together uh, dash studio.com or you just check out on steam mad experiment escape room or just type escape room i think i'm on the, in one of the first uh, uh results so our goal Thanks is to get you the first result i understand <laughs> yeah and wishlist the game is really important <laughs> wishlist that is, that is the number one rule for like, of anyone who's once put up any any game ever that's not out yet wishlist and get as many people humanly possible to wishlist that game. Steam's <laughs> algorithm is messed up as hell, and if you wishlist the game, like, it just mystically appears higher. No one's quite sure what the numbers are either, because it's not like, oh, it's a wishlist 10 times, now it goes up a spot. No, it's like, oh, I got wishlist 100 times today, now I'm up 50 spots, but tomorrow I'm down 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we never know. It's very, it's very obs- uh, obscure. Um, yeah, but they, 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 they're good. Uh, they're good in making it obscure. I mean, you have to make it up, uh, weird and and not um, um, understandable because otherwise it could be hacked and you know. Uh, so it's good. Good chance for everyone. Well, I'd start you more chance for everyone's good. But you're right. Anyway, <laughs> um, thanks again for talking to me today and enjoy the rest of your night in cold, cold Canada. <laughs> thanks a lot for having me, Mike. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another interview episode of the SWW Show. I'm Mike, and we're back with what I'd be calling another quarantine edition episode, because all of us are in some capacity locked in basements, attics, or houses, just not on the streets, and stay home, I believe are the rules we're being told. Uh, anyway, can you please tell me your name and the game you are currently working on? Yeah, my name is Josh Pierce, and I'm working on a game called Res, Please. Res, please. So immediately, I've got to ask the obvious question. How many times have people been like, is this a sequel to Res? Uh, you know, I don't even know what Res is, honestly. I think I've heard that a couple times, though, but I don't, I'm not that familiar with that game. Is that the one that's like a, it's like a top-down shooter kind of game? Uh, if I thought Res was the... Because, no, Res was the rhythm game, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, like Res I'm, not, Infinite. I'm not familiar with that. Because Res, Inf- Res, yeah, Res is what I'm thinking of. It's, it's like a rhythm game, and the Res Infinite was the one that E3 one year, oh, when the one guy yeah. had a giant suit in Gold, VR. Gold Dreamcast game. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, totally. No, actually, I haven't heard much of that. I think I think people have said things about games with the word Res in it before, but I think a lot of people associate it with, like, World of Warcraft as, like, their, like, main jumping off point because, like, they, you know, they were always asking for Reses from the, the priest or whatever in there. Um, that was kind of where, where it came from. Um, but it's interesting to see what people associate with it. And some people just have no idea. They're like, res plez. And I'm like, uh, an attempt was made, you know? Nice. So, um, how about this? Can you tell me, yeah, so you, res plez game you're working on, uh, your long neck games. What is long neck games? Yeah. So long neck games is a childhood dream of my brother and I. So that's where that's the company basically is me and my brother. Um, we, uh, basically we're working on this kind of prototype for the last four years in our spare time. And then last year, um, we actually quit our day jobs to, 
work on the game uh, full time. Uh, it's kind of a weird story. I mean, it's a little dark, but it's it's got a, a sweet part to it. Um, basically, the only reason we were able to actually work on the game full time is um, our mom was like our biggest fan. She really, really believed in us and just wanted us to have everything she could. Uh, but she was diagnosed with brain cancer. And so when she passed away last year, uh, she really wanted us to take the time to just sit down and finish the game. So part of part of uh, her gift was in allowing us to do that. And so this whole project, the whole concept of Long Neck Games has basically been in her honor and just trying to like live up to that that expectation from her of you you know following our dream so that's basically how how we came to be what we are okay yeah that's a lot sadder than i thought it would be to be honest yeah. um yeah it's really I, it's really positive like you know it's, it's just it's just such a tough note to like kind of lead on but it's like truly where we come from you know so i feel, feel like if i don't explain that like it's kind of like not the same as like what we're what our real mission is you know no no that that, that makes sense and like and obviously that i think i think hopefully it was saying we'll have a good ending at the end but no that is that is a very interesting way of how this all worked out to be so yeah mm-hmm. so what maybe in better terms so what would you describe res please as or what would you say it's similar to yeah so so at its core res please is a um, co-op puzzle platformer where you play as two wizard brothers that aren't particularly good at magic uh so the only spell that they start the game with is actually the ability to resurrect each other. Uh, So part of the core mechanic of the game is actually having to sacrifice each other in order to progress in the game. And that's kind of where the res please part comes in. Please tell me you can also kill each other and then res each other if you really wanted to. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so it's definitely, you know, it's a game made by brothers. So we definitely have some grief mechanics in it. You know, it really harkens back to like our childhood of playing, you know, Nintendo and Super Nintendo games. And, you know, like kind of the classic way you played as a kid was you'd rent something from Blockbuster. If, if your audience is old enough to know what a Blockbuster is, I don't, that's kind of like becoming like a dated thing now. Uh, but um, you'd basically, you know, you'd, you'd rent a game and then you'd, you'd, you take turns playing it. You know, one player would die and then the other person would hop on the hop on the controller. And so this is kind of our weird, like kind of like, you know, 25 years later solution to that is basically creating a game where it was a platformer, but you both work together all the time. So it was more cooperative. It's kind of more like uh, Super Mario meets like Lost Vikings or something where there's like an element of like, you know, coordination to it uh, that just doesn't, you don't really get in your average like co-op game uh, that's of this ilk. So in my head, I was thinking, I think it's Brothers was the name of the Xbox Live game. Where I really think of yeah, like, well, people yeah, yeah. had to work together. Yeah, it's definitely got got some similarities to that, too. Um, it's not quite as like, um, like, it's not quite as set up as, you know, Brothers, I feel like is like kind of more like these like stationed puzzles that are like you work together. And we do have that element, too. But kind of the overall flow of the game is always working together. It's always like like one of the little mechanics we have in the game is you can alley-oop the other player. So one player will crouch down, the other player will run into them, and then they get like a boosted jump um, to get them up to higher places. So now that player is up higher than the other player can get to. Um, so those kinds of things happen a lot in the game. Um, but the other thing is it is designed to be a one-player game as well. So you can actually switch controls between the two brothers if you're just playing one player as well. So we kind of designed it around kind of catering to both audiences. So immediately I've got to ask the obvious question, since it sounds like it's both you and your brother's first real game like this. Do you guys have a mm-hmm. game background, or is this kind of like you guys have been learning as you're going? 
Yeah, so we're definitely, you know, I, I, uh, I think we're like whatever they consider like a garage band for, uh, you know, game studios. We, we've, we've just kind of been teaching ourselves how to develop video games over the last five or six years. Uh, my brother actually started out, you know, he was doing some programming in Unity for other stuff. He was learning kind of C Sharp and other things. Uh, so, so just to kind of give you the designations here, I do all the art and uh, marketing stuff and all like the kind of uh, aesthetics, aesthetic end of things. And then my brother does all the programming. So, so he was teaching himself how to do, you know, general programming, general C-sharp stuff. Um, and then he got involved in a game jam. Uh, we had a, so Portland has a really strong indie game scene. We have this thing called Portland Indie Game Squad, which is like our local indie game community. And they had a big game jam for Adult Swim. And he went and participated in that game jam and got like third place with his team. And it like kind of gave him a taste of, of like how achievable really game development was going to be. Um, but also it, it just kind of made him realize how boring the other stuff he was working on was. So it was like really, really kind of made him want to shift gears. And it's always been like, ever since we were kids, I know a lot of people probably say this, but like, it's been our dream since kids to, to work on a video game. And then, you know, life kind of got in the way, like we got real jobs, you know, we had day jobs. I was, you know, working in healthcare and, um, my brother was a, a bar, a bartender at an Applebee's for a while. And, you know, it was just like, we knew that wasn't our, our ultimate dream, but like, you know, you get comfortable. And so with the advent of unity and kind of the more accessible uh, ways of, of learning this stuff, you know, we're, we've always been pretty naturally inclined for that. Uh, we just taught ourselves how to do it from scratch. Yeah. So. Since you're more art, I'm going to, that's kind of, I'm going to jump this. Then immediately I've sure. got to ask, did you just look at like every single eighties cartoon and go, that's what I want for my art style. Like what is the inspiration? <laughs> Cause that's one of the things that I feel like I hit immediately is this like, it very feels very eighties aesthetic. Oh, well, I'm really glad you picked, you got that because that definitely was was an influence. I, so, so like, just to kind of give you a little more of my background, I, I said I worked in healthcare recently, uh, but my background is actually in sculptural art. Um, I worked in stop motion industry for a while. Um, so I did a lot of sculpture. I used to make my own like resin figures and sell them online. So I had like my own storefront and kind of had like my own artist brand of things. Um, so like I've, I've had a lot of experience in, in producing different stuff, but I've always had, kind of had like these kind of running influences um i'm a huge dungeons and dragons nerd so like the 80s 80s dungeons and dragons like influence and like late 70s you know D D influence is definitely there in our in our game it's very like classic fantasy um you know i've got gelatinous cubes and beholders and things like that kind of sn snuck in there as as one one wants to do um but yeah i've always like really liked that aesthetic of like kind of just like the general like 80s-ness of stuff where it's not trying to take itself too seriously. Um, even our soundtrack is like very influenced by like 80s horror movies. Um, that was like one of my big art directions on that was like working with our uh, composer uh, in the UK and basically, you know, just giving him a lot of samples of like John Carpenter and like, you know, different, different like cheesy horror movie soundtracks. Cause I feel like there's just something so, so like genuinely campy and also like, just just stylish to 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 the 80s aesthetic for things uh that i really wanted to get into our game so okay yeah but like for the record immediately you look and go okay you guys have some influence like because it's just it, i feel like what i think hits it immediately to me is not even like it's it it immediately has the vibe of like if i describe like what people in the 80s wanted for a video game to look like, I feel like this is what it hits. It obviously doesn't oh, look yeah. like it because it's not grainy, it's not this, but it's very much the like, no, this you got the feeling right versus the actuality of the 80s, right? 
Oh yeah, yeah. So so yeah, in terms of like the pixel art and stuff, yeah, we definitely tried to go for like uh something that that felt like a classic video game um but had some kind of updated, you know, elements to it. Uh really trying to like thread that needle um which was which was kind of a conscious decision and kind of unconscious. Uh part of part of the issue was I'm not really keen on doing something super low res. Um, I just find myself wanting to pack in like more and more little details. I kind of wish I had been a little more low res because it would have been a little easier, I think. I wouldn't have to do quite so many pixels on everything. Um, but uh, yeah, it, we definitely tried to like kind of get something that had that kind of classic feel to it for sure. Immediately, just because there's such a variation of art look in your game, I'll immediately make you pick your baby. What what is either I'm gonna I'll give you broad enough so you have a little bit easier picking this time. What was either okay. your favorite to work on or your favorite look of like the levels that we kind of that you've kind of come out and shown people so far? Uh, so my favorite level to work on, I think, is the inner space level. Um, so basically, kind of the uh, you know third chapter of of the story. You the 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 boys get swallowed by a dragon, which is like a little bit of a spoiler, but not really because you know, it's fun. It's not, it's not that heavy of a narrative. Um, but basically they get swallowed by a giant dragon. And one of my like favorite, like movie tropes is the inner space thing. The, the, you know, um, magic school bus episode where they get shrunk down real small and they go inside the kid's body to see why he's sick and all that stuff. Right. Um, that's just like such a classic trope to me. And I've always like really, really loved it. And I kind of knew that I like wanted to, to play with that a little bit and do our own little version of that. So that was like really satisfying for me to work on that. Also, it's like super gooey. There's lots of like weird little, like scaly, spiny, fleshy, lumpy, weird things. The doors look like these big, like kind of, a uh, aorta valve things that kind of close and open you know as like you go through the rooms like the different chambers or whatever um it's just really gooey and gross and kind of gnarly um but i don't know it was really fun to work on um and like just making like that whole trope be a thing in our game was really really satisfying so i've got to ask the obvious dumb question because dragons aren't real so what what do you use for inspiration in like that kind of thing of like was is there like 80s cartoons that show similar things or do you just kind of be like okay let's take the human stuff and make it look scaly yeah so um uh part part of the way i i, I kind of problem solved it is i looked at kind of other references for it and tried to come up with a scale that i thought was going to make sense for what i wanted to do so you know when you're talking about like internal organs and stuff and being the size of a blood cell you know if you're the size of a blood cell you're pretty much going to only be inside of veins right like that's how it's going to work as a cell uh or you're going to be at that scale um so i kind of i kind of didn't really hang on to much of that like actual anatomic uh proportioning of it but i did basically take you know some references from different kinds of tissues so i looked at fat tissue i looked at uh you know tumors and things like that part of the thing about this dragon is he's also been kind of like inhabited by a by like a, a parasite so there's like little parasitic elements that kind of show up these little tumors and lumps and spines and things that are like not natural to probably what the the uh the dragon's like normal internals look like uh but those are added on top so that kind of gave me an extra layer to work with and and trying to tell a little bit of a story through the environment uh for for how this how this worked um uh, but a lot of it was just like just kind of taking like like just uh, textures and things and then trying to tile them out, make them kind of tile nicely and play with each other and kind of come up with these forms that were just like these undulating, you know, more of the feeling of it than anything else to kind of, to kind of set the stage. And then I put scales on the inside because I was like, you know, I wanted something to help break up the like, the like 
fleshiness of everything. So it wasn't just constantly like this grayish pinkish color um, and give it a little contrast, but also kind of remind you that you're inside a dragon and not just inside of like, you know, a giant sumo wrestler or something, you know? So I could, did not expect you to say that you looked up actual human tissue as comparison. That's, that's the perspective. <laughs> like, I expect you to be like, well, I just generally, nope, you full-blown did your research, and I gotta give you props on that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's it's far from anatomically correct, but I, I think it's good to, you know, as a as an artist, it's good to look up references for things um, all the time. Like, like, I know that, like, for me growing up, it was always, I kind of had this, like, golden ring in my head of, Oh, well, I have to come up with everything off the top of my head. You know, if I'm not being, you know, if I'm not creating something from scratch, I'm not creating, you know, but I think, I think really like references are really, really important. And it's one of the things I learned when I worked in stop motion was there's just, it's just, it's just, you need something to give you a jumping off point for your ideas. Um, and also it just helps inform better decisions that you're going to make in your designs. If you're just always trying to come up with it from scratch, you just don't have that clear of a mental picture of most things to do, to do like a really bang out of the park home run job on your first try, second try, third try, you know, that you could get when you just looked at something for reference, you know? Interesting. So Jumping back, because we talked about how, so immediately you said this, the reason it's called Res Please fundamentally is because you start with the power of Res. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, and obviously based on what you've announced, talk about too, what are some of your other like favorite powers in the game kind of to play with? Yeah, so, um, yeah, as you progress through the game, you will unlock new spells. Uh, but the the like real caveat and kind of the overall story of this game is you're underdogs. You're never going to be superheroes. So it's always kind of a battle against your inability to get things done. That's just like part of the part of the game. So as you unlock new spells, they sound really awesome, but they don't necessarily always have like super awesome results. So a good example is uh, later on you'll unlock the ability to turn into a stone golem, which sounds really badass. But in all actuality, you turn into a boulder with a face on it that has little tiny arms and legs and can't move. And so now you kind of have to figure out how to make that work for you, right? And so that's a big part of the, the spells in the game and the, like the progress of it is it's always kind of making the most of a bad situation. Uh, so, you know, with that said, one of my favorite spells is there's a telekinesis spell that you can lift things with your mind, smaller things, you know, it's the, you know, as a dungeon dragons guy, it's like a lower level uh, telekinesis spell, um, mage hand, if you will. Uh, but that uh, has its limitations because the longer you hold something in the air, the more stress it puts on your character and eventually his head will explode if you don't set it down. So you only have a limited window of time to move things around. Um, and then the, my the reason that's my favorite thing is uh, I really enjoy doing the death animations in the game. And that death animation is directly influenced by the scene in Scanners. Have you ever seen that movie, Scanners? I think I have, no. It's a classic horror movie, once again, 80s. Uh, so in scanners, there's a scene where this guy telepathically blows up another guy's head and there's this amazing shot. It's like famously used as a, as a meme and gif and all that stuff all over the internet. But basically this, this plastic, this like rubber head explodes. And the thing that makes it so satisfying is they were trying to, when they were actually doing the special effects for it, they were trying to do all these like, you know, uh, squibs and little air pumps and stuff to like blow the head up. And finally, the guy that was doing the special effects just went out into his truck, got his shotgun, and propped underneath the, the, the head and shot it with a shotgun. And that's the shot that they used for the movie. It's like this ridiculous, explodey head effect. And they do it in slow motion. And it's really, really satisfying. And so basically, I like frame by frame kind of like, you know, replicated that for our character. And that was really, really fun. 
which I know is really gross and really dorky, but it's like totally the type of stuff we did with the game. <laughs> which, which record? That's probably something like that's what makes it really fun. Uh, which is for record, you're way nicer than I would have been because I would have totally done the power where it's not my head explodes, it's my partner's head that explodes, and that would have been the funnier oh. part. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. And there's definitely, you know, there's definitely that stuff in the game too. Um, you know, the players can interact. There is collision between them. Um, you have a, a, an attack ability, and you can totally knock each other out and knock each other into spikes and stuff like that. Um, we've definitely, you know, we've demoed this game for a few years now um, from like the initial prototype and stuff, and uh, we've seen a lot of like especially brothers. Brothers love to come up to the game, sit down, and just, they don't get the game done. Like, they just sit there for 15 minutes and smack each other with sticks, and for some reason they're like, couldn't be happier with it. And I'm like, you guys don't even know what the game's about, but I guess if you had a good time, more power to you. Uh, but yeah, so that's definitely, definitely part of it is the grief factor. So one of the other things which I think is impressive about you guys is for, as you put it, a, I will call it you a garage band of indie studio. Uh, you guys have a publisher for your game. We do, yeah, yeah. So we just secured a publisher uh, last November, yeah. Who I'm not, I don't know if I've heard of them, is Graffiti Games. Yeah. So I'm curious, kind of like, what you can talk about and to kind of like how that relationship came to be. Was it just you guys kept going to shows and ran into them, or...? You know, they actually reached out to us. Uh, so I think they'd seen us at PAX East uh, last year, something along those lines. They, yeah, it had to have been PAX East. Um, and then, um, you know, we kind of talked for a bit. Gosh, was it November? It had to have been before November. Anyways, I'm getting my timelines all mixed up. But um, yeah, so we we they'd contacted us. We'd kind of talked a little bit. Um, we'd known that they'd worked with a couple of our uh, developer friends in the industry, and we were familiar with kind of their portfolio. You know, they're a smaller publisher, uh, very much indie indie focused. Um, but they definitely, you know, we were we were basically at this point where, I mean, without being too like, here's how the sausage is made. Um, you know, we were at this point where we were kind of hitting our limit with with our runway. You know, um, the 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 gift that our mom had given us was, was, you know, helpful, but it wasn't necessarily like, you know, an exorbitant amount to, to, to just work on the game forever. So, you know, we knew that we were going to be up against a wall with marketing support. We knew that we wanted to do porting for the game and we knew we needed some support with that. And so that's where, that's where graffiti came in was to kind of help us with those like final chunks of, of those things without, so we weren't just completely stretched to our bare minimum when we got to the finish line. And then the other thing is, so you guys are doing the other indie game thing, which I always find intriguing. You're launching, if I'm correct, I don't know if it's day to date, but you're at least launching knownly at on three different platforms, substantially speaking. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, and it should it it will be all same day uh, release. So yeah, we're launching on Xbox and Switch. Um, we're we've outsourced our Xbox porting to a to another developer that's helping us with that, um, but we're working on Switch and our PC, Steam, you know, XYZ Windows uh, versions uh, simultaneously. Which so. which is funny because in my head, especially it sounds like using Unity, I would think Xbox would be the easy one you could do, and how's it? I'd be outputting the Switch one, not the other way around. <laughs> yeah, which which maybe in hindsight might have been the way to do it. Uh, I think we just wanted to try to do the Switch one, uh, which may or may not be like the biggest like ch challenge of this whole project uh, was actually biting off that chunk of Switch stuff. Uh, but it's kind of nice because it gives us the experience with it. Um, and we knew we wanted to work on Switch. You know, like we were just so excited about the opportunity to work on 
a game, you know, as kids that grew up on Nintendo games, like to make a game and release it on Nintendo and be the like force, you know, having, having our hands and all of that was like a, a really big point of pride and, and uh, you know, worth the effort for us. So yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of, I'm guessing, I mean, you know, I know our Xbox uh, porting developer had his own issues kind of going through it, but um, I kind of, kind of think that maybe the Xbox one would have been a little easier, uh, but hopefully it'll all be worth it. So it's definitely been a lot of work though. And to clarify, if he's listening, I don't mean easy. <laughs> I mean easier. <laughs> Just, there's a yeah, fundamental no, exactly. difference between the two. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, his name is Anthony and he's worth every penny and he's a great guy. Um, uh, and if he's listening, nothing but good things to say about him. Uh, but, you know, I, I definitely watching my brother go through the headaches of the switch part. Um, I really hope that Anthony didn't have to deal with as much uh, hurdles as, as Nate had to deal with. <laughs> Perfect. So yeah. So I'm going to ask now the obvious fun questions to get to the tail end of this that, that you know had to be asked. Do you have a release date sure. for the sucker or do you have a timeline in mind? Is it still sometime this year? We do have a release date. It's not a, it's not officially announced yet, but it's going to be very soon. So I can say Q2 at this point of this year. So very soon. Um, and we'll, we'll be revealing that probably in the next couple weeks here. So, so it's Q2. Yeah. It's res plus. Uh, on Nintendo Switch, Steam, and Xbox One, and you said the goal was simultaneously or within simultaneous window. Yeah, yeah, they're all gonna be same day, same day releases. Uh, you can wishlist us now on Steam. We've got our our store page up there and all that. Um, and we'll put out a uh, on Switch. I know we'll be putting out a demo that you can play as well. Uh, probably within two weeks of release or a week or so, so people can get a little taste of it uh, on the Switch. Uh, and we're really really proud of how how the Switch switch builds turning out so really excited to share that with everybody well perfect well i gotta say immediately thanks you're shaking the busy time out of your day to sit down and talk to me about the game uh i look forward to seeing how this all turns out then for you guys in the next couple months well josh no problem thanks for the interview i i you this was my closing thing of thanks again <laughs> um enjoy the rest of your time and hopefully this all works out for you Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Mike. Have a good rest of your day, man. Yep. You too. Bye. Bye.